Please turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. As you're turning to that part of God's Word, let me express to you what an honor it is to be here this morning. Uh, it was long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away that I was um, brought here, called here, ordained here to gospel ministry, and married here. Uh, that was in 1980 to 85, and we... Uh, for Carol and me, this place holds a very special place in our hearts, and it always will. So it's a great honor to be here uh, this morning to minister God's Word to you. We're going to pick up our reading at verse 9, verse 9 of Isaiah chapter 40. I'm going to read uh, beginning at verse 9 and read through verse 17. 9 through verse 17. Hear now the word of God. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will guard the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Now we come to the section of scripture we'll be zoom, zooming in on. Beginning at verse 12, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him counsel? Whom did he consult and whom made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. They are counted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlines like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are counted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. Keep your Bibles open before you. This is God's word. As Isaiah said earlier in chapter 40, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall endure forever. Let us pray. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what it reveals about the God that you are. We pray, God, that we'll come to better understand what God we claim to worship and serve. And having understood this God better, Lord, we pray that we would serve him and that we would live our lives in deep gratitude for what you have done for us in your son, Jesus Christ. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. 
In the year 1989, we witnessed the success of a comedy science fiction family show entitled, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Now, this is a movie in which a, a struggling inventor accidentally shrinks his kids, along with his neighbor's kids, down to the size of a quarter inch. Now, these days, as we observe how a large number of Christians, including us, respond to what's happening in our culture, it seems that many of us could be cast in a movie entitled, Honey, I Shrunk the Deity. Because in our minds, we do tend to shrink God down to a size many times smaller than God actually is. When we shrink God down to a small size, the problems we face are as threatening as the problems those children faced. And honey, I shrunk the kids when they encountered what appeared to them to be large insects and ginormous animals. You know, it seems like just the other day, we walked out the back door of 2022 and to the front door of 2023. Now for a while, we've been strolling down the sidewalk of 2023. And as we do, the news headlines scream at us about potential problems. Not one, not two, but three nuclear powers we're not on friendly terms with. Violence in the streets of our cities, our neighborhoods, our schools, our workplaces, even in our churches, we feel unsafe. In the place of the United States of America, we now witness the divided states of America. We are in the aftermath of a pandemic that we are still recovering from both emotionally and economically and health-wise. We face the ongoing threat of future pandemics because evil people desire to weaponize viruses and use it against other people. Not to mention the economic problems that are so severe these days that there are people making $100,000 a year who seem to be living paycheck to paycheck. Seems that the bugs and animals in our backyard look pretty big, don't they? In times like these, what do we do? Today, let's turn our attention from the headlines to these biblical headlines before us in Isaiah 40, to the perspective the Bible provides for us to make us a more peaceful, strong, and courageous people these days, in the weeks, the months, the years ahead. Now, in the first part of Isaiah, up until Isaiah 40, God's saying, hey, listen, if you're one of God's people, difficult days are going to lie ahead for you. The prophet spends 39 chapters in Isaiah warning God's people of tough times and a rough ride ahead. But then in Isaiah 40, the prophet turns the focus from earth to heaven, and the prophet says to us something significant. I have it underlined, starred, and highlighted in this Bible. 
It's just that significant to me. And here it is. It's in verse 9, the last phrase. Three words. Look, behold your God. Behold your God. Friends, the basic idea of Isaiah 40 is when we tend to to worship a shrink-wrapped God, and that's our tendency, because this God is great enough to capture our focus and our hearts, behold your God. Friends, this morning, behold your God. You know, one of the features of these verses, verses 12 through 17, is that they are very visual. Uh, This morning, let's consider five images designed to help us behold this great God. The first image is this. It's in verse 12. Isaiah says, Behold God's hand. Behold God's hand. Notice what it says. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span? What we see here is something about the palm of God's hand and the span of God's hand. I ask you, how much water can you hold in the palm of your hand? I hope you're not hot and thirsty. If so, you'll be frustrated. You know, go home. Turn on the tap. Try it. Pitifully small, right? Well, what about God's hand? The prophet says this God, this God is able to hold all the waters in the world in the palm of his hand. Think about that. That's over 300 million cubic miles of water in the hollow of his hand. How great is our God? I read this this verse and I feel like singing. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. The little, little bitty baby, you and me, brother, sister, everybody here. He's got the whole world in his hands. And listen, since he does have the whole world in his hands, we're not surprised one bit In Mark 4, when Jesus simply by holding up his hand stands in a violent rocking boat in the middle of a storm, and he simply says, peace, be still. A sea raging like a wild animal becomes as still as if it has been shot by a tranquilizing dart. From violently foaming, to as smooth as glass. Brothers and sisters in Christ, in every storm, this Jesus is in the boat with you. Whatever the storm is, he is in control of every storm you're going through. Whatever that storm is, and sooner or later, Jesus will calm every storm in your life and take you safely to the shores of the new heavens and new earth. How great is our God. But there's more than just the palm of God's hand. Notice the span of God's hand. Notice there in verse 12, marked off the heavens with a span. What's the longest measuring tape in your house? 
25 feet, 100 feet? Can your longest measuring tape measure your whole house? Probably not. Well, this God measures the heavens with the span of his hand. And by the way, the span is the distance between the tip of the thumb and the little finger. Now think about that. The distance to the nearest star past our sun is 4.5 light years. In other words, if light left the closest star from our sun right now, right this second, and if that light traveled at the speed of 186,000 miles a second, light from that star would take four and a half years to even reach here. And yet this God marks off the heavens and all the stars and all the galaxies and the whole universe. God measures the whole universe with his hand span. One hand. How great is our God. Friends, what a privilege we have by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to know and to love a God this big, a God so big, that this God invites us in 1 Peter 5, 7, to cast all our anxiety, our anxiety about our life, our anxiety about this church, all our anxiety, cast it upon him. And here's why. Simon Peter says, because this big God cares for you. If you're bearing burdens by yourself, your problem's not with God. Your problem's with you. Take those burdens off your shoulders. Put those burdens on God's shoulders. And do that today. Notice in the second place, we've looked at God's hand. Notice, secondly, as we behold the greatness of our God, let's behold God's kitchen. God's kitchen. Look at verse 12. Enclose the dust in a measure, and that could be translated, or sands in a measure, and weighed the mountains on the scales and hills in a balance. We see here in the last part of verse 12 a, a cup and a pair of scales. Somewhere in your kitchen cupboard, there's cups for measuring out ingredients for recipes. Now, if we fill every cup in our cupboard to the top, our cups are limited on the amount of flour or milk or whatever they can hold. But contrast our cups with God's one cup. See, God's one cup can hold all the sand in the world. Think about that. Go around the beaches in the world. Eagle Beach in Aruba. Seven Mile Beach in the Grand Caymans. All the beaches lining the Atlantic and Pacific Ocean, the Gulf of Mexico. All the beaches in the whole world. All the sand in all the beaches. Load those sands into God's one measuring cup. And there's still a whole lot of space. That's how great is our God. See, these verses are encouraging us to think grandly about God. 
Because this world wants to distort God, limit God, imprison God, shrink-wrap God into the saran wrap of our own thinking. Perhaps you've heard of the Jeffersonian Bible. Thomas Jefferson went through his Bible with a pair of scissors, and he cut out all references to anything revealing the greatness of God, all references to the miracles of Jesus. And the reason is this. Thomas Jefferson wanted to shrink the God of the Bible down, and he wanted to shrink the Bible into a book of just rules and moralistic stories. He wanted to reduce God to an impotent deity. Friends, in our view of God in the Bible, let's not go all Thomas Jefferson. The Bible says this God is on a scale so great, he cannot be measured by anything we can imagine. Speaking of scales, in God's kitchen, we see these scales. They're balanced scales. You've seen them. The challenge is this. Put the Rockies on one side, the Alps, the Himalayans, the Andes, all the mountains all over the world. Put them on this side of the scale. Now, put God on this side of the scale. And here's what happens. You see, this side, with all these mountains, weighs light as a feather compared to the sheer weight of the glory of God. And speaking of the glory of God, in the words and deeds of Jesus, we see the weight of God's glory. And on the cross, we see the full weight of God's glory as Jesus dies in our place for our sin, a death Then the wonderful song by Stuart Townend, How Deep the Father's Love for Us, a death that brings many sons and daughters to glory. Friends, how awesome it is to know because of the work of Jesus, one day you and I will see this glorious God. Friends, with a future this glorious, why do we get all bent out of shape about our temporary trials and troubles? Compared to our future glory, our trials, our temptations, our tribulations are like a feather on one side of God's scales. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 4.17. Our current afflictions are momentary compared to the weight of glory. We've looked at God's hand. We've gone to God's kitchen. Third image is this. It helps us behold our God. Let's behold God's teacher. God's teacher. Verses 13 and 14 ask a series of questions. They're almost, almost playful, almost deliberate, sort of ridiculous. You know, he's basically saying, uh, who is God's teacher? Where did God go to get wised up? Where did God go to college? Southern Miss, Ole Miss, Mississippi State? Where did God get his Ph.D.? 
Oh, and who are the members of Yahweh's cabinet? Who's his international security advisor? What firm did God hire as his primary consultants? Who briefs Yahweh on difficult decisions? In other words, is God sharp enough or does God need help to, you know, keep up with the latest about everything? I mean, we wouldn't want God to slip up and do something dumb, would we? Listen, our God does not need to learn anything. This God does not take advice from anybody. God's never going to lament and scratch his head and say, you know, I'm not sure I'm thinking clearly about this issue. I don't understand. Can can you help me out? Not going to happen. See, the answer to all these questions, who shows him counsel, who he consults, it's rhetorical. The answer is nobody. God doesn't need advice. Idols need advice, not God. You know, in verse 28, if you look on down later in the chapter, it says why God doesn't need education or advice. It's because his understanding, his understanding has absolutely no bottom to it. His understanding is unsearchable. You can dive down into the well of God's understanding and you will never reach bottom. This understanding, this knowledge that God has about everything, so comprehensive, so deep, infinitely beyond the depth of anything we can understand. Our response to what God knows, I hope that God's total comprehensive understanding of everything, I hope it humbles you. Years ago, I was speaking to a youth conference, and we were having question and answer. And one of the youth asked a moral question. And I answered the question straight from Scripture, from one of Paul's pastoral epistles. And this was his response. What does he know? I stepped back. He said, why are you stepping back? I said, I don't want lightning to strike me. I do not. Because there before me stood an arrogant person with limited, finite, fallen understanding passing judgment on the words of someone whose knowledge is complete, comprehensive, and exhaustive. Listen, when God speaks to us through his word, we're hearing wisdom, comprehensive knowledge. When Jesus speaks, it's the wisdom of God speaking. God speaks, and our posture should be that of students sitting in the classroom. The Lord is the professor. We're the student. And we don't graduate until we die. Let's behold God's hand. His kitchen, his teacher, which he doesn't need one. Fourth image is this. Let's behold God's politics. God's politics. 
This past year, politics dominated the news. Think about it, tons of pompous people making pompous pronouncements, nations, national leaders flexing their muscles, if you disagree with them, puffing up like toad frogs on a lily pad. Remember one nation, one leader a few years ago threatening to turn our nation into a sea of fire, then our leader responding, well, my nuclear button is bigger than yours and mine works. And here, on and on it goes, nations bragging, posing, preening, posturing, threatening, all big, all bad. But the question is this, when God looks at all the nations blowing all their smoke, what does God see? The answer is verse 15, behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlines like fine dust. It's like God is, is carrying a bucket, and this little drop spills down out of the bucket, and God looks and he says, Oh, oh, I see right here, this, this drop. There's all 195 nations on the face of this earth. And that one tiny drop. Oh, and see the dust on the scales? The dust I'm about to blow off this balance scales? Oh, there's Russia. And there's North Korea. Oh, and that little speck of dust on the scale? Oh, yeah, that's the United States of America. How great is our God? Friends, please hear this. We make a big mistake when we say God is religious and not political. All through Isaiah 40, we see God is over politics. He rules the nations. Historically, the, the Babylonians opposed Yahweh. How'd that work out for them? The Roman government opposed Jesus, how'd that work out for them? Governments rise and fall, but God's kingdom is on the move in every nation on the face of this planet. And listen, every, at the end of the day, any government, any nation, any public official that opposes Christianity will be silenced. The Lord is the ruler of the nations. Jesus, according to Psalm 2, Jesus, the Lord's anointed, will one day hammer all his opposition the way you would smash a clay pot. Friends, don't fear the nations. Don't be scared of a Chinese spy balloon. Fear God. Run in repentance and faith and take shelter in the only safe place there is in the universe. Run to the arms of Jesus. We've looked now at God's hand, his kitchen, his teacher, his politics. One last image, and that's this. Let's behold God's sacrifice. God's sacrifice. Look at verse 16. It says, Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor is beast enough for a burnt offering. What the prophet is doing here, he's imagining this giant 
sacrifice. A pile of wood from all the valuable, famous cedar trees of Lebanon. Some of those trees 115 feet tall. Think about that compared to where the ceiling is. Much taller. And on top of this enormous pile of wood, they've gathered up all the sacrificial animals in all of Lebanon. And we see this, this altar with all these animals. And we say, oh, this, this sacrifice, it's much too extravagant. Isaiah looks at this altar and he says, you know what? It's too little. After all, every sin is against a God who is greater than any sacrifice. The point is this, no sacrifice we offer can ever pay for our sin. One sacrifice is sufficient. Only one. Not many, not often, one. You see, our sin is so great, only God can pay for our sin. And there's our note of grace. You see, God provides full payment for our sins with one sacrifice, the sacrifice of Jesus. When Jesus hung on the cross in our place for our sin, he said, it is finished. It's finished. No more sacrifices needed. Jesus' death is sufficient to pay for all the sins of every person on this planet who confesses their sins and trusts in the sacrifice of Jesus to pay the debt we owe for our sins. How great is our God. And may we add, how gracious is our God. I urge you to keep reading through Isaiah 40. We're not going to do it. We'd be here at 3 if we did. But please keep reading through Isaiah 40 because this is an incredible, masterful painting of God here on the canvas of Isaiah 40. It was Oliver Wendell Holmes who once said, One's mind, once stretched by a new idea, never regains its original size. Isaiah 40 stretches our minds. Isaiah 40 infuses our weary, anxious souls with strength and courage with a biblical portrait of God. Friends, I urge you, take the focus off yourself and behold your God is revealed right here in his word. I promise you this, if you behold your God, it will change your life. Let's pray. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this revelation of how great and powerful and all-knowing and wise and sovereign you are, and yet how gracious you are. Lord, help us 
to behold you as our great and gracious God. May we never try to scale you down to size, but may we return time and time and time again here to Isaiah 40 so we may have a, a significant expansion of our view of who you are. Lord, we pray that our look and our look to the God who, who provided the ultimate sacrifice in Jesus Christ will be a transformative look for us. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.